My name is Danny. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Citywide Church, and we have just started a series entitled uh, Teach Me to Pray. This series about prayer, and we intentionally spend this time in the weeks leading up to 10 days of prayer. We spend this time just going before the Lord again, just talking about and learning about prayer. Now, there is a temptation inside of you that says, huh, prayer, I've heard this word before, and I pretty much know enough of what I need to know to basically be okay. But I just challenge you to just shoot that thought down in the name of Jesus and to use this series as a chance and opportunity for God. God to kind of remodel your prayer life, right? It's a chance for him to build it up, reconstruct it, make it exciting again. I mean, some of you, you know, I know you have your prayer closets and stuff, but maybe he wants to move the where you guys meet, move a location, you know? Sometimes he's like, ah, oh, you know, let's, let's just freshen it up in here. So for some of you who feel like, you know, maybe I'm okay in my prayer life, I challenge you to use this time in this series to just ask God to like take you deeper, right? That's my prayer for this series, that God would just like take me deeper in his word, just take me deeper in my prayer life, right? So we could be more effective. So we are going to dive into the topic for this week. Last week, pastor talked about um, praying from the posture of adoration, right? And so this week, we're going to go a little bit further. Um, I want you guys to uh, go with me. We're going to go into the scripture. This week, we're going to be talking about the posture of forgiveness, now, I don't know why they give me the heavy topics, y'all, but we're going to do this together, all right? Don't be looking at me crazy. We're going to do this together, all right? So there is something that I've noticed about prayer in particular before we even get there. I notice when it comes to prayer that a lot of people pray. Like, most people do pray. You know, pastor established the definition of prayer as just communication with God. And so I've realized that most people, believers and unbelievers, they do pray, just a few weeks ago, the lottery hit like a billion dollars, and all of my group chats were just like, Lord Jesus, I've seen what you've done for others. <laughs> Please do it for me, right? Or maybe some of you guys are a little bit of a speed demon, and you're speeding down the highway, and you see that state trooper just a little bit too late. And you go into prayer like, Lord Jesus, please don't let this cop pull out and stop me, right? Please do not let this cop come out and stop me. Or some of you are praying over your meal. It's pineal, it's, it's pork, it's uh, gravy, it's stuffing, it's mac and cheese, all the things, right? And then we pray, Lord, please let this be nutritious to my body, right? Let it be nourishment to my body in Jesus' name. Purify it, Lord, right? <laughs> and so most people do pray. So that's not really the thing. I think that what really is the issue is that even though everybody's praying, not everybody's prayers are getting through. Not everybody that sends up a prayer, it's actually getting through. And if you don't believe me, turn with me to James chapter four and verse three. We find in this scripture, it's a caveat, basically just a, a, a warning of a stipulation or a condition with prayer. And a lot of people are not aware of this condition in prayers. James 4 and 3. I'm going to read it to you guys in the King James Version because that's the version that I heard the first time I heard it. And it says, uh, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now, I personally don't speak King James Version like some of y'all, so I had to go to another version that makes a little bit more sense. So I'm going to go to my favorite version, the Passion Translation. And it says, if you ask, you won't receive it, for you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. 
Now, when I first heard that scripture many, many years ago, it really pierced me. And it was alarming because in that moment, I learned that I can't just say a prayer from the bottom of my heart and then just shoot it up there and it'll actually work, right? That's not how it works. I mean, this was also good news for me because it also meant that other people can't pray on my downfall, right? So you can't just mean harm and shoot it up there and then God answers it. In fact, I want to pause and say, if you've ever prayed on somebody's downfall and it actually happened, it had nothing to do with you. There was no association. God did not answer your prayer, okay? It doesn't work like that. (laughs) But the scripture reminds us that it is our motives that are being examined. And I can lie to people about why I pray the thing. And I can even lie to myself about why I pray the thing. But you cannot lie to God, right? Because God knows the heart. You cannot lie to him. He knows the heart. He's God. So being aware of this, that not every prayer can get through, knowing that he's checking our motives, that means we need to learn how to pray right, right? We need to learn how to pray right. And thankfully, we have a Savior that did not leave us, like, confused, and we have to go looking far and wide and deep. It's literally in the Scripture where he teaches us how to pray. In Matthew 6, verse 9 through 15, you'll find what we know today as the Lord's Prayer, right? So it says like this. Jesus says, pray like this. So you're like, oh, my goodness, how do I pray right? I don't know. No, Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And the very next words that he says out of his mouth is another huge caveat of prayer that I don't know if we all are aware of. This is a stipulation of prayer. He said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. This is a stipulation or a condition of prayer that I think we tend to overlook. Because the, the bigger issue is that your sins will not be forgiven. The sins that you have repented of will not be forgiven. Scripture tells us that God intentionally forgets the sins that we repent of. He died for those sins. But if you want to keep a record of wrongs being done to you, and if you want to hold things against other people, then things are going to be held against you. And this is just a rule of thumb of the kingdom. And I love it because God, you know, we signed a contract when we said, Lord, I give my life to you, right? And one of the clauses in this contract is this, that God made it so that you would have to love and forgive your neighbors in order to get forgiveness for yourself. And this just shows how important forgiveness is to God. So guess what? It has to be that important to us, right? So we're speaking about prayer from the posture of forgiveness. And some of us in here need to forgive ourselves. Some of us in here need to forgive others. And some of you may not realize it, but some of us need to actually forgive God. I know it's going to get a little uncomfortable in here. Y'all stay with me for the ride, okay? I speak to you guys in love, and I always want to equip you and build you up, okay? So let me just pray for us real quick now that y'all know what the topic is. Let's just pray real quick that the Lord will open up our hearts, that we will receive what he wants to say to us today, all right? 
Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word, God, that you said is sharper than a double-edged sword. I pray that your word pierces the heart of your children. I thank you that the hearts are already open, already receptive, already hearts of flesh and not of stone. I thank you, Lord, that your words will fall on good ground, and Lord, you will set your children free. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, I'm very observant. I'm a very observant person. Anybody that knows me knows this. And as I observe the body of Christ, I have some observations that I want to share with you. And one of those things that a whole lot of people think that they have forgiven and they have not. Instead, what you've done is like bury the offense just beneath the surface. And I would even argue that the larger issue at hand is not just that people aren't forgiving, but it's that people think they're forgiving and they're not. It's a false narrative that we've told ourselves. You didn't forgive people. You just don't have to see them anymore. So you don't have to deal with it out of sight. You didn't forgive them. You just found out they're miserable or that they're the same old person. And so now you feel better about what they did to you. Y'all know what I mean. You see an ex that treated you wrong and you see their necks and their necks is ugly. Or you see their necks and the necks is not as smart as you or, you know, like, oh, they're a bum. I made out good, right? You didn't forgive them. You just feel like you have one up on them now, right? Because you feel like they're doing worse than you. You didn't forgive them. You just found a way to retaliate or get even. You found out something harmful happened to them and you say, ooh, God don't like ugly. Listen, you didn't forgive them. You're just loving them from a distance. That's our favorite one. I know you're not going to say too much on that one. Because what we think is forgiveness stems from wrong teaching and culture. Loving from a distance is cultural, not biblical. Loving from a distance is cultural, not biblical. So are you hearing me? You think that you're in the clear because you pray, but you're praying amiss. And you think you're walking in forgiveness and instead you're walking out a false display of forgiveness. But I have good news and great news. Y'all want the good news or the great news first? (laughs) So the good news is that God is highlighting and exposing the hidden things that are keeping you from being effective in your prayer life. The great news is that Jesus gave us a picture of what biblical forgiveness looks like, okay? So I want to bring you guys to a scripture about two very close friends in the Bible. And honestly, I would say that they're best friends. They laughed together. They ate together. They did life together. They looked out for each other. They corrected each other. They protected each other. They prayed for each other. They prayed with each other. They were the closest of friends. And I'm talking about Jesus and Peter. Now, y'all Bible scholars can debate me all day, but I believe that Jesus and Peter were besties. I believe they were besties. Peter is often referred to as the disciple who talked too much, or he was the wild one out of the disciples, when in reality, he just enjoyed a deeper fellowship with God than a lot of the others. I mean, when when Peter saw Jesus walking on water, he literally asked, yo, can I come out there with you? Like, you got to be close to somebody to do that, right? There has to be a certain level of, like, comfort to be able to ask that, right? He wanted to share that experience with him. Peter was there for all of Jesus' supernatural moments. Peter is what we would call a ride or die. He is Jesus's A1 day one, right? In Matthew 26, we find Jesus in his final hours before he starts his journey to the cross. And it says, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you, speaking to his disciples, all of you will desert me. 
For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. So Peter, the wild one, the A1 day one, he speaks up and declares, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. I wish I had time to walk you guys through all of the dishonor, all of the disrespect, and all of the betrayal that Jesus experienced on his way to the cross to die for the same folks who were betraying him. I wish I had time to to describe to you those moments that when he needed his friends to pray for him the most, they couldn't even stay awake. They kept falling asleep. He couldn't even count on them. And everyone swore that they would be with him to the very end. But we all know that's not what happened, right? In Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 69, it says, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. And back in the day, the oath, your word was with everything. I know we don't have much weight on it now, but back in the day, it meant something when you gave your oath. So he gave his oath and he said, no, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, or maybe I skipped word. This was with Jesus. Da, da, da. I didn't even know the man. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. There are some, uh, some of the scriptures that say that actually on the third time that he denied Jesus, he actually looked Jesus in the face. Can you imagine denying Jesus and then having to look at him right in his eyes, right in the face as he's carrying the cross for you? Jesus was betrayed by his best friend. And before we start judging Peter, we all need to realize that we are Peter. We all need to realize we have been Peter. We've seen God's goodness, experienced his faithfulness, vowed to go all the way with Jesus, and then turned our backs on him, ignored him for however long we wanted, disgraced his name, didn't say some things before Christ that were just shameful, and even after salvation, didn't say some things that made people question whether you were even really a Christian. We were Peter. I was Peter. I am Peter. Now think about your betrayals. Think about the deepest and maybe even the most recent betrayal that you've experienced. Was it by a stranger? No, right? Can't be, right? Couldn't have been. 
You can only be betrayed by someone you trusted. And the hardest part about forgiving a betrayal is you just don't understand how could they do that to me, right? Why do they do that to me? Sometimes you feel like they meant to do that to me. They knew what they were doing and they didn't care. Jesus surely could have said these things about Peter because Peter had time to change his mind and keep his word. Like one time, okay. Two times, maybe. At some point, he could have changed direction, and he didn't. He got worse and worse the further he went, right? The offense got worse and worse. So let me ask you, what do you really do when someone deliberately lies to you, lies on you, leaves you hanging, takes you for granted, uses you, doesn't value you, curses you out, steals your innocence, steals money from you? How do you even begin to clean your heart up? How do you begin to move forward? Do you want an apology? Do you wait for an apology? Good luck. (laughs) Do you wait for God to magically remove the offense from your heart? No, somebody help me, really, what do we do? Listen, before we answer, let's look at what Jesus did. In John 21, Jesus has now gone to the cross, he died, and he resurrected. And now he's appearing to his disciples for the third time. They were fishing, they had no luck. I feel like these people never have luck when they're fishing, right? Jesus comes and he always gathers up the fish for them. And I feel like Jesus could have been like, man, I'm always looking out for y'all. I always have to go get y'all fish out the ocean. Y'all can't even do that right, right? He could literally be like, this is so one-sided. Like, you know, he could have said that. So anyways, we're going to verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast. So he already gathered the fish. He made sure they gathered up a good amount. And then in verse 12, he says, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, his best friend, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, mind you, Peter is still, I I just feel like Peter's acting awkward at breakfast. Now, Jesus then came up, he resurrected, he got everybody fish. So basically he bought everybody breakfast, then he cooked it, then he served it for them. And Peter's still over here acting awkward. So Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, probably because he was minded, reminded that he betrayed Jesus a third time, right? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So understand what I'm saying and what's happening in this moment. Jesus went right back to the very people that betrayed him. He caught fish for them, bought them breakfast, served it, and now he's sitting with them, and he's looking at Peter to restore him. And in this Peter, we see Peter still had shame because even though they were reunited, in Peter's mind, they weren't reconciled, and there was an elephant in the room. So every time Jesus asks if, if Peter loved him, there, um, 
he asked him if he loved him. Jesus was using a love called agape love, which is the highest form of love, right? But Peter kept saying, I love you like a brother. The love that he was responding with was like, I, I, I love you like a brother. So in our terms today, basically Jesus was like, yo, do you love me more than anything, like unconditionally? And Peter was like, I got love for you, right? <laughs> so Jesus goes on to minister to Peter, realigns him, gives him further purpose for his life, and even gives him a word of knowledge regarding his future. He restores Peter. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he go and reconnect with the people that just betrayed him? Why? Because he had a bigger picture in mind. Greater work still needed to be done. They needed to be accomplished. So quite frankly, Jesus didn't have time to hold grudges. And so I say to you, every single one of you today, we don't have time to hold grudges. But let's be real. Forgiveness doesn't just happen, right? It takes intentionality. You don't wake up and realize one day you forgave. I mean, you can wake up one day and realize that the offense doesn't hurt you as much, but you can't just wake up and realize that you forgave. No, it doesn't work like that, right? Time doesn't heal wounds. That is cultural, not biblical. Jesus Christ alone heals the wounds of your soul. And oftentimes, more than not, he's holding your hand and he'll partner with you and give you action steps to take with him on the journey to your healing, right? You have a part to play. He'll partner with you for you to get healed. So here's the truth. When there is an offense, there is immediately a breach, a space, a gap created between you and the person you have offended or the person who has offended you. So here's my question to you guys. Whose responsibility is it to get it right? Whose responsibility is it to, to bridge that gap? If you said it depends, you're wrong. <laughs> It's always on you. It is always on you to bridge the gap. In culture, we refer to this as being the bigger person. But being the bigger person, again, is a cultural statement and not a biblical one. It's not a biblical one. In the kingdom, you don't get brownie points for overlooking offense. It's actually the expectation of how we are to live with each other. If you don't believe me... Look at Proverbs 19 and 11. I got like eight versions for y'all, okay? <laughs> the English Standard Version says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So the Bible says it's common sense. If you have good sense, you will overlook the offense or be the bigger person. Another version says, a man's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Another version, good sense and discretion make a man slow to anger, and it is his honor and glory to overlook an, a transgression or an offense. Listen, without seeking revenge and harboring resentment. You know, that's that good old Amplify version. <laughs> the Passion Translation, an understanding person demonstrates patience, for mercy means holding your tongue and overlooking an offense. These are expectations for us as people of God. And this is the key, guys, to keeping your heart clean. It's finding a way to keep offense out in the first place. You do this by remaining humble. Humility is not something that you activate when you're wrong. Because some people, we, we'll humble ourselves if we feel like we did something wrong. Like, 
all right, let me just get myself together and just go talk to, let me humble myself and let me do it, right? That's not the only time that you need to activate humility because the Bible instructs us in Micah 6 and 8 that we need to walk humbly with God, right? All the time. So despite what your flesh says and despite what culture teaches you, you have to make the decision to bridge the gap. And so honestly, the more we walk in grace and humility, it will become a way of life and you will catch on and it'll catch on with those around you. But in order to forgive, you have to bridge the gap. And somebody just say that I have to bridge the gap. As believers, whether you are the offender or offended, it is your responsibility to bridge the gap. Now I've made it very easy for you guys to remember. I love me a good acronym to help you guys remember. So when I say, um, Bridging the gap, remember to give grace, address the offense first, and patch it up, all right? Point number one, give others the same grace you give yourself. Let the church say amen. I'm going to say it again. Give others the same grace that you give yourself, in John 21, we see Christ extending grace to every one of his disciples. Why? Because Jesus understands that we're human, flesh. He understands something that I think we all need to learn today, and this is huge. Jesus understands that at any given moment, people are doing the best that they can do. Brene Brown is a woman who's committed her life's work to studying shame, vulnerability, and empathy. And she admonishes people and leaders, especially, to operate from the assumption that everyone is doing the best they can. Now, we know that we're doing the best we can, but we don't extend that same grace to other people that maybe, just maybe, they're doing the best that they can do, right? You need to accept that within yourself that at any given moment, people are really just doing the best that they can do. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're facing. You don't know what they've already come through. You don't know their worldview, what their framework is, what how they were abused. You have no idea. You know that for you because you live your life, but you don't know that for the other person, which is why you should extend even more grace because you don't know. So what happens in your heart when you shift your thinking to knowing and believing that everyone is doing their best, that even the person that offended you is doing the best? When all the disciples vowed that they would die before they ever deserted Jesus, Jesus could have very well said, man, shut up. Shut up. I know you're like, shut up. He, he, he could have said that. He's God. He knew that, right? Why didn't he tell them to shut up? Because he knew they were human. And he knew that in that moment, everybody that said that and took that vow believed it with all their hearts in that moment that they would never desert God. In that moment, they believed that they were ready to die with Jesus. In that moment, Jesus knew better, but he let them rock. You know, he's just God. He let them rock, right? So what, how does our heart posture change when we, when we believe that everyone's doing the best that they can? One of the reasons why Jesus keeps forgiving us over and over is because, one, it's his nature. Two, the blood of Jesus covers. But three, he sees our humanity and he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4 and 15 says we have a high priest, Jesus, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. So we should do the same, sympathize with others' weaknesses. So think about your offenses and your grudges. 
And now shift your heart. Shift your heart. What, what happens when you say they're doing the best they know how to do in that moment or in that situation? When you revisit that situation or that moment, they were doing the best that they could do in that moment. Doesn't that change things? And isn't it hard to do? It's like, I don't want to give them a pass, right? It's hard to, to, to really take that on, but that's the truth of the matter. This is the same way that Jesus viewed us every single time we fall. This is the same way he views us when he was hanging on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the first way to keep your heart clean, guys, is to acknowledge what it means to be human and extend the same grace that you extend to yourself. And when you do this, that's when we can live out a free life. Point number two, address the offense first. Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, the passion translation says, don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not for even a day. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. The New Living Translation says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So understand, the longer you hold on to an offense, the more space you give the devil to come in, put his feet up, and get real comfortable. Now, I just told you the better thing to do is to overlook the offense altogether. But if that's not possible, the next best thing to do is address it quickly. Sometimes you're mad, and that's okay. You bring your anger, your disappointment to the Lord first. And when you bring it first to the Lord, you're saying, how could they? I just can't believe that they. It's all those raw emotions, and that's okay. But at some point, your posture needs to shift. Because in order to get somewhere, you've got to stop villainizing the person and address the offense itself. When it's time to bring up the person in prayer, this is how you know you've shifted. You're only asking God to give you eyes of grace for this person. You're not villainizing them anymore. God, give me eyes of grace. You're speaking well of this person, that they hurt me, but I believe the best about them. That this offense doesn't mean that they're a bad person. I don't shame or curse them. I bless them in the name of Jesus, right? I don't accuse them. I even ask for God to show me what accountability looks like in this situation. Because reconciliation without accountability is just a breeding ground for offense to keep occurring. So I'll go a step further and say this, even though you're not going to like me. It's okay. (laughs) So in addition to approaching the situation first, I'm going to encourage you guys to apologize first as well. Even if you don't feel like you did anything wrong, because many times we don't understand what we did or said or what happened to trigger that response from the person. I mean, it could not be the case, but maybe you did do something or said something that maybe could have triggered the situation. I'm going to use me as an example. Me and my best friend, um, my soul sister, we went one month without speaking to each other. We went one month without speaking to each other. I thought she cut me off. I thought she was just putting distance between us and that she just needed to, like, have her own time. And neither one of us addressed it. Neither one of us addressed it. It went on for a month. And I was all over the place. I mean, my emotions were all over the place. And then finally, one day after much prayer, I was ready to just release her. This is my soul. I really, I cannot live without her. But I was ready to release her because there was an offense there. There was a gap 
there was a breach and I did not want to correct it. I was waiting for her to come to me to correct it. But after much prayer, I decided, fine, I'm just going to release her. But I still wanted to have my like closing conversation. You, I wanted closure. That's our favorite thing, right? I wanted closure. So I said, listen, listen now, I respect everything that you're saying. I respect what you want to do. I respect that you want distance, but just tell me what happened. Like I released you, but I feel like I, I want to at least have a conversation. And y'all, I went on way longer than I should have, but she let me talk and talk and talk. And finally she said, Danny, I thought you were putting distance between us. I thought you were upset with me. She thought that I was cutting her off and I thought that she was cutting 30 days. We walked around. This girl braids my son's hair. I, Devin was walking around. God bless him. I had to figure out how to braid here again. All this just stuff that I had to endure because I didn't want to just go to her, go to her first, approach it quickly and address the offense and whatever it was that happened. And so we're crying. It's like, oh my God, I love you. I would never leave you. I'm so sorry. And we come back together. But me and my sister, we do things a little bit differently. So we was like, let's call our therapist. We share a therapist. It's like, let's have a group session because we just wanted to make sure everything was good. And in that group session, what we found out is that I was the one that did a thing that she kind of interpreted as, oh, Danny switched up. And I completely forgot, but I did that thing. But I was the one that didn't want to apologize. I didn't want to address it, but I didn't realize that I was the cause of the breach. It didn't matter at that point because we came back together and we were like, it doesn't matter. I love you. I want you in my life. But the reality is we lost time. There was a misunderstanding, rather just a lack of understanding. There was a miscommunication or a lack of communication. So she was thinking one thing and I was thinking the other team. And guys, we don't have time for that. We missed time. We're forced together. And we missed out on time because neither one of us went to approach it first. This is a lesson for us as believers. How many misunderstandings are you in right now? How many situations are you in that's gone so much longer than it needs to because you simply won't approach it first? In John 21, when breakfast was over, Jesus addressed Peter, and Peter was still acting mad and awkward, but Jesus didn't sit there and say, you know what? Peter knows what he did to me. Now, Peter just, I'm not going to go to Peter. Peter has to come to me first. Can you imagine if Jesus took on that attitude and that posture with Peter? And I'm, he's like, I'm not saying nothing to him until he addresses what he did. He didn't do that. He basically was like, yo, Peter, are you good? Because I'm good if you're good. You love me? Okay, because I'm about to open this church, and I want you to be the pastor. That's literally what happened. <laughs> I'm about to start this church. I would love for you to be, to be the pastor. And this story is also fascinating to me because Jesus had already planned to use Peter. He had already given Peter the keys. Like he was already going to build his church on Peter. But it's like Jesus couldn't even trust Peter to lead his people until Peter had fallen and gotten back up. Now, this should be good news for all of you in here that are struggling to forgive yourselves. To those of you who are still holding things against yourself, just struggling to forgive yourself, this should be great news that the very thing that you think disqualifies you is actually the very thing that qualifies you to be used by God. Because God can trust you now. He can trust that you're not going to look down on his people. He can trust you not to be harsh and judgmental with his people because you understand um, what it feels like. So don't let the enemy accuse you any longer. 
You sin, you turned away from it, you're doing all you can to overcome it. You are qualified. Don't let the enemy lie to you another day. Jesus says you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. You are free. You're free today of guilt and shame. But it's not a perfect world, folks. And so there are some folks that you feel like you can't talk to. Let's be real. Can we be? I love to be real. There are just some people, some even believers sometimes, that they're not reasonable. They're filled with pride. They'll never admit they're wrong. So hear me. You don't address the situation trying to get someone else to admit guilt. You address the situation to be obedient to the word of God and to keep your heart clean. Know that when you address an offense, your expectations may not be met. Matter of fact, don't even go in there with any expectations, right? And know that when you apologize, you may not get an apology back. <laughs> Listen, that's happened to me a few times. And I went in looking for an apology back. And they were like, oh, thank you so much for apologizing. I'm like, okay, at any point in time, you can say sorry back. And it never came, right? <laughs> But you, it's your job to, to take the sting out of the situation. Don't go looking for anything back. Just take the sting out of it. Because you don't want to be looking at somebody and something rises in you or you feel a certain way or you got to walk all the way around town to avoid walking by them. It's your job to get take the sting out of the situation. Which leads me to point number three, the P and gap. Patch it up. <laughs> Patch it up. There are some situations that you won't get a chance to repair, and that should grieve your soul. Jesus is a, uh, Judas is a disciple that handed Jesus over to be crucified, and he killed himself before Jesus ever had a chance to patch it up. Tomorrow is not promised, people of God. You have to get it right with people while you still can. I have sung at so many funerals. I've been at so many homegoing services, and I've seen people grieving from a place of regret. And grief is much harder when regret is the driving factor. God is love. And when his love abounds in you, you have an overflow to extend to everyone, not just your friends and family. You should have some extra love to extend to your enemies or those who have wronged you. Luke 6, 32 through 36 says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? <laughs> I love that. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So I tell you guys today, patch it up. If you are the offender, patch it up. Don't be Judas. Don't die with your offenses. Don't allow your offense to eat away at you. Say sorry. I don't care how much time has passed. Apologize. Patch it up. As I was um, preparing this message, I couldn't help but think about my dad. And I've never shared this part of my testimony like in a big setting, but I felt very led to share this today. It was, uh, I was 11 years old when I finally confessed to my mom that her husband, my dad, had been molesting me. And I remember my heart racing. We were in the car and we had just gotten home from church. And so I told my mom, like, mom, uh, 
daddy's touching me. And so we, we race back to the church and my mom confronts my dad and my dad is just denying it, denying it, denying it. And then in one moment, something changes. He shifts and he says, fine, I did it. Yeah, I did it. But then he like looked at me and he said, but you could have stopped it at any time. So I ask you guys, what do you do when the person that robbed you of your innocence, the person who hurt you, he didn't just not apologize, but then he blames you. And I remember being so happy that my mom even believed me at first until I learned that there were others in my family before me who my father abused. And my mom just assumed that he would never touch his own daughter, but that wasn't the case. And I was so furious with my mom for years. I was so angry that she would just marry someone like this and not protect me. But you know who else I was mad at more than anything, y'all? I was mad at God. I had to realize and accept that I was mad at God. And I would never admit that I was mad at God. And it didn't come out as anger, but it came out as mistrust. You ever had a friend borrow money? and y'all work through it or whatever. They borrowed it, they didn't pay you back, y'all work through it. And it's like, okay, maybe they eventually pay you back, maybe they didn't, but y'all just realize, you know, I still like you, I'll hang around you, I'll be cool with you, but I ain't never loaning you money again. Like that's the one disclaimer, like I'm never gonna loan you money again. <laughs> Some of y'all are the same way with God. You're still coming to church, still praying, but there are just certain areas that you don't trust God in. Nah, Lord, you let me down here before. We cool, but it's gonna take a lot for me to trust you in this area again. And I'm telling you today, it's time for you to patch it up. The man who stole my innocence was my dad. And I always picture reconciliation with him, like a healthy relationship with him. But I just didn't know where to, where to begin or, or how to start. I mean, I had already forgiven him. I'd already addressed him, but I didn't know how to patch it up. So I sat him down with his wife one day and I brought them to a restaurant and I didn't go over looking for an apology or anything. I just went there to extend real grace and let him know I've already given you grace. I've already forgiven you. And I wanted to just offer him the opportunity to have a real relationship with me. And I just talked to him and said, Hey, did you tell her? Cause I'm about to tell everything. He's like, I told her. So I'd say everything. And we have a long talk. Even the wife shared with me her own story of abuse and how she never could imagine confronting her own abuser. And I ended up holding her hand. I was praying over her, praying over my dad. And I prayed that this meeting would only bring them closer together. It wouldn't pull them further apart. That's how I knew it was the Holy Spirit in me. The moment I prayed over their marriage, I was like, oh God, it's you, right? <laughs> So I held their hands and I could never describe to you guys the feeling I felt when I left that restaurant. I felt like I was flying. I felt so light. I felt like I was immediately wearing all white. I felt so pure. Like God had really done something in my life. Like instantly I, I felt free. And I wish I could tell you guys today that me and my dad are great and we're, we're restored and we're, we're together, but we're not because he has made a decision not to be in relationship with me. And guess what, y'all? That's okay. <laughs> Once I stopped putting in all the work to restore our relationship, he decided he didn't want to put in any work to restore the relationship. And it's okay, because guess what? I'm still free.
So listen, when I say bridge the gap, I'm not saying like everything is on you. It doesn't mean that you have to like extend forgiveness and, and give these opportunities that, and the other party's not going to reciprocate. They're not participating. I'm not telling you to be a doormat. I'm telling you to bridge the gap. Because if they're not willing to work with you for reconciliation and a healthier relationship, you can release them. And release them does not mean love them from a distance. It just means love them. But you make sure that there's nothing there. And I remind you, the greatest display of love is dying for a person. You got to be willing to die. John 15, 13, there's no greater love than a man laying down his life for a friend. So you got to be able to look at that person and be willing to die. Be willing to let your pride die, your ego die, your pain die. And if you're not there yet, then you haven't truly forgiven. You guys can stand on your feet. I really wish there was a cookie cutter answer for you guys today, but there really isn't. When you pray, you have to ask God to show you how to patch it up. My dad and I have a complicated relationship right now because he's chosen not to pursue a relationship. And um, on a deeper subconscious level, that was that was haunting me for a while. I realized the ways that that was impacting me. And I made a lot of progress, y'all, through prayer and therapy and deliverance. But there is not an ounce of unforgiveness in my heart towards my father. Because I've made a vow to God that I will always be the one to bridge the gap. So look at your unforgiveness in your heart today. Look at how it's affecting you, your relationships with yourself and others and God. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. When you don't truly forgive, you always have a parasite slowly robbing you of all the life and beauty that God wants to give you. So release your unforgiveness today. So I asked the question for you guys today. Will you be the one to bridge the gap? Your offenses, your pain, can you put that under the cross today? I wanted to share that story about my father because in society, there's no grace for pedophiles. We wish the worst for them. We don't want them in the jail, we want them under the jail, right? But because I received the love and forgiveness of my father, I could not hold any offense against the person who abused me. So if I can forgive the man who was supposed to protect me, but stole my innocence. And if Jesus can forgive his best friend who betrayed him and left him at the cross, surely you can release your grudges today. Surely it's not too much for you to clean out your heart today of those offenses. Surely it's not too much for you to approach the situation and approach the offense first. Surely it's not too much for you to give others the same grace you give yourself. I don't think that God is asking too much of us. But I do think it's going to take help from the Holy Spirit. So if you're in this room today and you know that you're carrying offense and you know that you need Jesus to help you to release the offense, maybe you thought you forgave and you realize now that you haven't. Maybe even the thought of walking out the healing of this is just draining to you. It's okay. Because it's not too hard for God. 
So if you have offense, I want you to be bold and just raise your hand in here. If you are the offender or the offended, if you are the offender or the offended, and there is a grudge that you know that you need to release today, that you want to put under the cross, I see you. I see you. Thank you for your honesty. I see you. If you're someone who realized that you're actually mad at God and you haven't forgiven God for allowing some things to happen in your life, it's okay. We're being real here today. He knows that you're praying to him from a place of mistrust and unforgiveness. Just yesterday, I was in a deliverance service and I had to forgive God myself. I said, God, I forgive you for letting my dad do that to me. I wasn't even five years old yet. Why would you allow that to happen? I didn't even realize those questions were still there. So we're being real today, okay? There's no judgment. There's no judgment. And I know God wants you to be free today. And ultimately, if you are here and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior and you want him to come into your heart, you can feel the anger and the rage while I'm speaking to you. Raise your hand and ask the Lord to, to come into your heart today. I'm going to pray over all of us. I'm going to pray over all of us. I do want the those who are giving your lives to Christ, I want you to raise your hand nice and high. If you're reconnecting with God, if you're giving your life to God for the first time today, I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Come on, clap your hands for, for those coming back to Jesus. Now let's all pray this prayer with these believers, these new, these new believers who are making a new commitment to the Lord today. Everyone say, dear God, it's me. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. Forgive me for not forgiving others. Forgive me for betraying you. I realize I am a sinner and I need you to come into my heart. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are Lord. I can't wait to start this adventure with you.